What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. The nation of Israel committed a horrible sin in not only making, but worshiping, and then uh, depending upon the golden calf. Uh, and one of the things that that revealed is they ultimately didn't really care about God's presence uh, with them any longer. They replaced God's presence ultimately with the, the presence of the golden calf. And we saw that in the fact that they gave the golden calf credit. They said, hey, here is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So as they looked back on what God did, they credited the golden calf. But they were also, when they asked Aaron to make it, they said, you know, make this golden calf who will lead us into the promised land. So they're also depending upon and looking for the golden calf to take them to the promised land. And it showed that they were shifting that uh, dependence upon and you know really caring about the presence of this calf over the presence of God. And so God decides at the beginning of Exodus 33 to, to give the Israelites a test, a test to determine whether or not their heart has changed because Moses came down, he rebukes their sin, and, and they kind of have this exchange of things. And so God says, you know what, let's see if your heart has changed with regard to my presence. Do you still desire it, or, or are you where you were with the golden calf where you don't want it anymore? And so, um, you know, what God does is he gives them this test where he says, you know what, I'm going to give you my promise. You can have the promised land. I'm going to give you my protection. I will send my angel before you to make sure you get there. I'll you know, rid everybody of the land that, so you can live there. But there's one thing I'm not going to give you, and that's my presence. My, my presence isn't going to go with you. And so as God presents this to the nation of Israel, the test is, are they going to be satisfied that, with that? Will they be okay with that? Will they say, you know what? Hey, if you're going to give me the promise and the protection, I don't really care about your presence. If you're going to give me your blessings, I don't really care about you. Uh, and so God was kind of testing to see, you know, how they would respond, whether they'd be satisfied with that or not. And as we saw last week at the uh, beginning of uh, Exodus chapter 33, Israel definitely was not okay with that. They respond in a way that shows that they wanted the presence of God. And we saw three things that they did. First of all, they, they, they thought this was bad. This was a bad thing. We, we don't like the fact that God's presence is going to be gone. The second thing we see is they mourned. They mourned their sin. They mourned that their sin had an impact on that relationship that they had with God. And we're also told that they removed their, their uh, ornaments, the things that they kind of decorated their outward uh, life with as an outward show of their display of repentance. And so Israel's response shows they do care about having God's presence in their life. They do care about being close with God. They didn't just care about God's promises or his protection or what he could do for them. They cared about God himself. They wanted God's presence in their life. You know, and this led to a very thought-provoking question for ourselves. You know, would we be satisfied with God's blessings and not God? Would we be satisfied with God's promises and protection but not his presence in our life? Are we seeking what God gives or God himself? And one of the main points we looked at last week was that God himself 
should be what matters. Not what he gives to us, not what he offers to us, but his presence, him, that that should be what we're truly seeking, that what we truly desire. And I, I remind us of that because tonight as we continue in Exodus 33, we're going to see a similar focus, a focus on the presence of God. But really what we're going to see here in the example of Joshua, the example of Moses, is they're going to take that to a much deeper place. Because last week it was all about kind of that general presence, recognizing the importance of having the presence of God in your life. But now the question is, well, what should we do when we see that that's important, when we have the privilege of God's presence in our life? What do we do with it? How do we take advantage of it? And that's what we're going to see here with Joshua. We're going to see here with Moses and the rest of this chapter is what they do with the presence of God. That's a great example to each one of us who hopefully recognize the importance of having God's presence. But then what do we do with it once we do see that we have it? How do we take advantage of the presence of God. Now, before we start with what we see here from the example of Moses and Joshua, I think one more reminder of what we saw at the beginning of this chapter is important for us to uh, look at before we pick up with where we're going to be tonight. And that's that when Moses recognizes, hey, in order for you guys to get back to where you were, you worship this golden calf, you really hindered your relationship with God. Not only did you need repentance of your sin, but you need to get back to worshiping God. You need to get back to spending time in his presence. And so Moses said, you know what? I'm going to do something for all of you that's going to help facilitate that. My tent is going to be the tabernacle of meeting. This is before they actually were able to build the tabernacle. That's still in the works. We're going to get there in a few chapters. But Moses says, in the meantime, I'm going to take my tent outside of the camp and it's going to be the tabernacle of meeting. If you want to come and meet with God, come do it. And he gives that opportunity to everyone. And as Moses comes into the camp, we're told that God comes down in his glory in this pillar of cloud. And Moses has this great opportunity to... Um, talk with the Lord. And when the Israelites saw it, we're told that they worship God. And so that's how we end in verse 10 with them worshiping God as God's presence is over top of the tabernacle there at Moses's tent, which now brings us to what we're going to pick up tonight, Exodus 33, verse 11. And we're told this. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So as Moses turns his tent into this tabernacle of meeting so that people can come and, and meet with the Lord, we're told that God's presence is there with him in this pillar of cloud. And now the Lord, we're told, spoke to Moses face to face as this man speaks to his friend. Now, an important thing to understand here is this Hebrew term that's translated face to face is a figurative expression, meaning free and open fellowship. It's not speaking of a literal face to face meeting with God, that God is looking at Moses's face and Moses is in turn looking at God's face. We're going to see as we continue on tonight in verse 20 that God says to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. So we recognize it's not speaking of a literal face-to-face -face encounter because God's glory is so great that Moses couldn't handle that. It's more of a figurative expression of there's this open fellowship between God and Moses, this great intimacy that Moses is being blessed with in this tabernacle of meeting as he meets with 
the Lord. And so Moses has this wonderful meeting, and we're going to look in a moment at all that he does with the presence of the Lord. But before we do, notice in this verse, we have another character that comes on the scene, and that is Joshua. And notice we're told about Joshua, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So here's Joshua. Remember, Joshua is in a unique you know, situation because actually it's Moses and Joshua, the only two of the Israelites who did not fall into the sin of idolatry. Because when Moses goes up Mount Sinai, Joshua comes with him part of the way and then he just waits. As Moses is up there for 40 days, Joshua is just there on the mountain. He's not with the nation of Israel worshiping a golden calf. He's just waiting on Moses. And then when Moses comes back down, he picks up Joshua and then they go to the camp and, you know, bring some rebuke to the people who were in sin. And so Joshua is in this unique place where he wasn't involved in that sin, but yet he sees the presence of God there at the tabernacle. And he takes advantage of this wonderful privilege that Moses invites people, says, hey, you want to meet with God? Come to the tabernacle. I'm making my tent that. Everybody's welcome. And notice how Joshua responds to that. Joshua is the one who stays there and doesn't depart. Not even Moses does that because Moses has to go back into the camp. So he'll go to the tabernacle, spend some time meeting with the Lord, comes back to the camp, deals with some of the practical realities of leading the nation of Israel. But Joshua just stays there. He never leaves the presence of God, never leaves that tabernacle. And I think this is a great example for us. It shows how much he valued God's presence, understood that time with God in his presence was such a privilege and a blessing in his life. I think, unfortunately, oftentimes we approach time with God as more of something we have to do to check off the list of what the Bible tells us, as opposed to something that we get to do. We see it as, oh man, all right, I gotta, I gotta give some time to God today. I know He commands me to, and so I guess I'll do it to, to be obedient, as opposed to recognizing I get to spend time with God today. The Creator of heaven and earth actually wants to engage with me, wants me to be in His presence. What a privilege! What a blessing! You know, how you view time with God is definitely gonna impact how often you spend time with God. If you view it as a chore that you have to do, I can guarantee you, you're not going to do it that often. Why? We don't like to do chores. You know, from little kids to adults, we don't like to do things that we don't want to do. If we see it as this kind of negative thing that I just have to do because I'm commanded to do, you know, there's not going to be a regular time that we probably do it. But when you see it for what it is as this wonderful privilege, hopefully that would motivate us to spend much more time in the presence of the Lord. The way you view your time definitely impacts that. So the great example that Joshua gives to us is that we shouldn't be content with just having God's presence available to us. We should take advantage of his presence and spend as much time as we can with him. And this is something that, you know, we looked at last week. Yeah, recognizing the presence of God is available is the starting point. But that's if all we go to is like, well, we missed it. (laughs) Yeah, it's available. But if I'm not taking advantage of it, if I'm not pursuing it, if I'm not recognizing what a privilege it is and and doing something about it, then I kind of wasted one of the best blessings that God gives us. Now, you might be thinking technically, well, God's everywhere, so we're always in his presence. Well, that's a true statement, but what I'm speaking about here is more of a special 
presence, a more unique thing that we see. Because the nation of Israel was always in God's presence, but yet there was something unique when he came down in that cloud, when his presence was there over the tabernacle. There was something special about that unique time when they sought God, that his presence was closer, uh, at least felt more. Uh, there was something special about that. And I think, you know, when we get together like this in times where we're like, I'm coming for the purpose of meeting with the Lord, purpose of worshiping him, the purpose of receiving from him uh, his word and, and coming to him in prayer. There's just a special presence that you have with the Lord. And it doesn't have to just be with other believers. You can be by yourself with that heart to seek God, to seek him in prayer, to open his word. And there's that special presence that you can have with the Lord. And it's something that we should value, take advantage of, and recognize the privilege it is. So that's the example that Joshua gives. He doesn't leave the tabernacle. He just wants to be in the presence of God as much as he possibly can. And now we're going to see several things that Moses is a great example of uh, as he responds to the presence of God. Verse 12 says this, Then Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I might find grace in your sight, and consider this nation is your people. So here we see Moses is in the presence of God, and he's taking advantage of being in the presence of God by praying to God. He doesn't just go take a nap in the tent. You know, God's presence is there and he's like, oh yeah, it's nice to be close to you. It's like, no, your presence is here and so I'm going to do something. I'm going to come to you in prayer and notice the prayer he's praying. He's already in the presence of God, but yet his prayer is all about the presence of God as well. Notice what he says. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now, if you remember the beginning of this chapter, you recognize that what he's asking here is confirmation. Lord, are you going to send your presence with us to the promised land? Because in verses two and three, God says, I will send my angel before you, but I'm not going to go. My presence isn't going to be with you. That was before the nation of Israel repents and responds and like, this is bad news, we're going to mourn. So that's the last thing that God has said to Moses and with regard to going to the promised land. So Moses' prayer is like, well, God, who's going to bring us up? Is it going to be the angel that you said earlier or is it going to be you? But whose presence is going with us? Because we want your presence, not just the presence of the angel that you would send. Are you personally going to come with us or not? You see, for Moses, it wasn't enough just to know that they're going to make it to the promised land, that God's going to you know, bring the, the protection necessary. He's going to fulfill the promise. He's like, that's not good enough for me. I want to know that your presence will be with us the whole way. So Moses boldly comes to the Lord asking, are you going to send, who are you going to send with us? And I want you to know what Moses bases this boldness on. You know, you might think, well, who do you think you are, Moses? Kind of demanding of God whether he's going to send his presence with you or not. But notice within this approach to prayer, Moses shares what he's kind of basing the boldness of what he says, the boldness of how he approaches God, why he's willing to do this. He says, you have said, speaking of God, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. And he shares some other things. Now, notice God has already said, Moses, 
I know you by name. I know everything about you. You're, you're special to me, Moses. And something even more important, Moses, is you have found grace in my sight. God has already revealed that, already spoken that to Moses. Moses knows that that is how God sees him. And now he approaches God with that recognition. God, you said you know me my name. You said that I found grace in your sight. And so because of that, I come boldly to you right now. Because of that, I'm going to ask you these questions. Because of what you have said the relationship is between you and I, the way that you see me has given me the boldness to now approach you in this way. Something important to understand is that Moses' understanding of how God saw him was ultimately what gave him that boldness to approach God in prayer. So the first example we see from Moses about what we should do with God's presence is come into God's presence based on his grace and how he sees you in Christ. I think this is something that's so important because, you know, there are so many things that try to hinder us coming to the Lord and the enemy will tell us you're not worthy and this and that and look what you just did and you just committed this sin. And and there's all these things that are kind of these barriers for why we think I I can't come to God. I I can't approach him. I I can't ask of him this or that or or speak to him or, or look into his word. We need to recognize I don't come based on my own worthiness in myself because I don't have any, but I do have it in Christ. Because of who I am in Christ and how God sees me in Christ and and recognizing when I look at his word and I see that, you know what, he doesn't see me as I once was. I'm now a new creation. The the old man that I used to be has passed away and and now I'm something new. He, He sees me as forgiven. My sins have been washed away as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed my transgression from me. He sees me in Christ now, in his son. And so I need to recognize as I come to him, that's how he looks at me. And so I can boldly approach him because of his grace and because of what he has said about me. So Moses comes with a recognition. I come because of how you see me. I come because of your grace. And he says, show me now your way that I may know you, that I might find grace in your sight. Notice this, Moses doesn't just want to know, God, are you going to bring your presence? Is your presence going to go with us? That's important, but there's something else important as well. As he says, show me your way, he's speaking about, are you going to be with us on the way to the promised land? Is your presence going to come? That's something I want an answer to, but you know what? I want to know more than just whether your presence will be with us. Notice he says, I want to know you. I want to know you deeper, Lord. That's something that's important to me. I want to know not only that you'll be with me, I want to know you personally in a deep way. The second example that we see here from Moses about what we should do with God's presence is to ask God to know him in a deeper way. I mean, I don't care where you're at in your relationship with the Lord right now. I can guarantee there's more of God for you to know. You're never going to get to a place where you're like, well, I've exhausted it. I know it all. There's no more of God that I could could ever grasp or learn. And so we always should be in a place of wherever we are, Lord, I want to know more. I don't want to just be satisfied with where I'm at. I don't want to just be satisfied with what I know about you. And maybe you know a lot. And maybe it's encouraging. But to say, you know what? There's more. God, you're so deep. You're so vast. You're so amazing. Can you help me to discover more of you? I think that's a great prayer to pray. You know, when I get in the word of God and I study the word of God, that's something I'm always asking. Lord, help me to know more of you as I study your word. 
Help me at the end of it to, to have something more of my knowledge of you to go deeper than where it is before I start. Let's see how God responds to this request of Moses in verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So Moses wants to know, God, are you going to lead us to the promised land with your presence? Or are you going to come with us? Or are you just going to you know, send your angel instead? And God says, I am going to give my presence. I'll be with you guys. My presence will be with you. But notice God says something else as well. And I will give you rest. Notice the important connection here with the presence of God and the rest that comes because of it. Yes, Moses, I will give you my presence and my rest. Because in my presence, there is rest. When I give my presence to you, a natural byproduct of that is my rest is going to be available to you as well. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you know what? You might be having a, a really messed up time in your life and, you know, the, the labor and the work and the hardships that you're dealing with are just, you know, they're, they're draining you and things are so hard. And he says, just bring it to me. Come to me. And in my presence, I'll give you rest. And this is something that we need to recognize because we need it. I mean, the rest of God is so essential for our lives. And we, we sometimes will even ask for it, but forget the reality of where it exists. Oh, Lord, just give me your rest. He's like, well, hey, I'm here. My presence is here. I'm available. Come spend time with me and you'll get it. Take advantage of me and you and you're going to leave with rest because that's a natural byproduct of what I give to those who spend time with me. So Moses is pretty bold. Lord, are you going to give us your presence? Are you coming with us? And I know that you know, this nation has just horribly sinned and worshiped a golden calf. But are you willing to give your presence to us? But you know what? He's going to get even more bold because God has said, yeah, I'll do that, Moses. I, I will give my presence to you in the nation of Israel. But notice what Moses says in verses 15 and 16. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sights, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So notice this. Moses asked, God, will your presence go with us? And God says, yes, it will, Moses. And you would think, all right, Moses is satisfied. It's good. He's got the answer that he wanted. Whew, I was worried about that one, but I'm so grateful that, yes, your presence is going to go with us. But right after he gets the yes answer, notice that he kind of even more boldly prods God even more, like, are you sure, Lord? You know, you, I, I want to have an affirmation here that I'm actually going to have. We are actually going to have your presence go with us. God, if you're not going to go with us, don't take us anywhere. If you're not going with us from Mount Sinai to the promised land, we don't want to go. This is another really, I think, important thing for us. Like so often, I think we try to get in front of God and Lord, just come do what I want to do. And instead of Lord, if you're not in it, if your presence isn't there, you know, I don't want to go anywhere. I only want to go where you are leading. I only want to go where you're going to be with me. I don't want to go do my own thing. If you're not going to go, 
We're staying. If your presence isn't going with us, then we're not going to head out yet. Not until you come with us. And then Moses wants to make sure God understands why he says this, why his presence is so important to Moses. He says, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. God, why is your presence so important to me? Because how are not only the nation of Israel, but all the nations of the earth going to know that we have found grace in your sight? I mean, how are we going to go into the promised land and say, oh, we have God's grace with us. Well, where is he? Where is his presence with you? Oh, it's not here. Well, then how do you have grace in his sight if he's not even willing to be with you? you say, hey, that's, a, that's going to be a sign to us. It's going to be a clarity that you are with us. Your presence is with us, which shows that your grace is truly upon us. You know, the nation of Israel, they needed to know that really more so even than Moses did. Why? Because they just sinned. And it's in that moment that you feel like, you know, maybe God's grace isn't with me anymore. You know, I don't know if he really forgives me after what I just did. I mean, come on, we just made a golden calf and worshiped it and said, it took us out of Egypt. It parted the Red Sea. It brought the plagues. It did these things. I mean, could God really forgive that? And so they needed to know, hey, God's presence is still with you. His grace is still upon you. He still loves you. He has forgiven you and you can move forward in a relationship with him. So Moses wants it for the Israelites, but he also wants it for the the enemies of God. He wants them to be able to look at the nation of Israel and see God's with you guys. God's presence is with you. His grace is upon you. And I think this is important for us to remember and know, especially when we sin. He forgives. His grace is still with us. His presence is still with us. Well, let's see how God responds. Now we have this second bold request. God's already said yes. And Moses is like, no, really? Is your presence going to be with us? And here's the reason why I think it's important. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Once again, God affirms, yes, Moses, I'm going to do this for you. And I love how God works with Moses. He doesn't rebuke him. Moses already said yes. How dare you challenge that? Don't you believe me? Don't you trust what my, my words are? He understands where Moses is at. He understands Moses just needs this affirmation. He's like, yes, Moses, don't worry. Like I said, I'm going to be with you. And then notice what he does. Because Moses starts with, I am boldly approaching you. Why? Because you said you know me my name. You said your grace is upon me. And that's why I'm coming to you. And so God ends it when he says, yes, Moses, I'll do this. Why? Because I know you by name, Moses. I do it because my grace is upon you. He reminds Moses, if this is the reason you came and it's true, this is true of you. This is true of my feelings towards you. And yes, I'm going to do what you have asked of me. So Moses has gotten bold. I mean, just to say, Lord, are you really going to be with us? And then when God says yes, he gets even more bold by saying, no, no, really, are you going to be with us? You need to affirm that with me. Well, now he's going to take it a step even deeper. Because right now he's really kind of been asking more for the sake of the nation of Israel as a whole. Is your presence going with all of us? And now it's going to get more personal. Now he's going to get even more bold when it just comes between Moses and God because Moses has something that he wants personally with him and God. Notice what he asks of God here in verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. God just said, Moses, my presence is going with you to the promised land. But notice Moses isn't satisfied with that. In a good way. 
that's great, Lord. I'm glad that your presence is with us, but I want more. I want to see more. I, I want to experience more. And, and, and let's remember here, Moses has seen a lot. I mean, we're told the, the glory of God descended in that cloud. It was also leading them in a pillow of fire. He saw the 10 plagues. You know, he puts his staff in the ground and sees, you know, the Red Sea part. God fed him, you know, uh, and the nation of Israel with manna from heaven. I mean, he's seen a lot of God's glory. But yet he's like, Lord, I'm not satisfied. I want more. I want, know, I want to know you deeper. I want to experience you in a more personal, deep way. So Moses' prayer starts with wanting, God, are you going to still be with Israel after what they did? Oh, I'm so grateful that you are. But you know what? What about me? I, I, want, to, I want to go deeper. I want to know you. I want to know your glory. And this Hebrew word translated glory speaks of splendor and honor, glory. Moses was hungry for that. I want to know you more. I want a deeper understanding of who you are. The third example we see here from Moses about what we should do with God's presence is don't be satisfied where you're at in your relationship with God. Instead, seek to know more of him and his glory. This is a struggle that we often have. I know I've had it in my Christian life of just getting to a stagnant place, a place where you're like, oh yeah, I, I know enough. I'm fine with where I am. I'm fine with what I know of God. I'm fine with where my relationship is at. Instead of being in a place of, you know, in a positive place, because you can be discontent in a negative way, but I'm speaking of a positive, I'm not satisfied with just knowing this. I want more. You know, and imagine in your own relationships, especially those of you who are married, you know, to come to a place and just be like, you know what, I know enough about my wife. You know, I know her favorite meal. I know her favorite color. I know what restaurant she likes to go to. I, I know, you know, what she likes here and there. And, and that's enough. I don't need to know her anymore. I don't need to, to get to know her anymore. You know, I've kind of just, I'm fine with where we're at. And unfortunately, a lot of relationships are like that. They don't go any deeper and then they start having problems. But in the same way with God, it's like, you know what? Yeah, oh, I know you died for me. I know you love me. I know you've done this and that. And, and I'm okay. That, that's all I really need to know about you. That's all I really need to experience of you. Instead, I'm like, no, you are the greatest. I want every day to just learn more, to see more of your glory. Please show me more of who you are. Not be satisfied. Not get stagnant. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this. We may have been Christians for many years, but have we ever really longed for some deep, personal, direct knowledge and experience of God? Oh, I know we pray for causes. We pray for the church. We pray for missionaries. We pray for our own efforts that we agonize. Yes, but that is not what I'm concerned about. We all ask for personal blessings, but how much do we know of this desire for God himself? That is what Moses asked for. Show me your glory. Take me yet a step nearer to you. you know, a great prayer that we can all pray is, you know, God, would you give us a great desire for yourself? Would you show us more of you? That you would regularly pray that that would be the desire of your heart. So Moses makes this wonderful request, God, let me see your glory. 
You know, I read a commentator who said, you know, I think that Moses was like, you know, uh, Peter in the Mount of Transfiguration of kind of really not knowing what was happening and not really knowing what to say. And when he asked for the glory of God to be shown to him, not really recognizing what he's asking for. Like, just show it all to me, Lord. Like, that was possible for him to experience that. But yet he, he wanted it. He wanted to receive it. He asked God of it. And let's see what God does in response. Verse 19 through 23. Then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So God responds to Moses' request to see his glory by telling Moses, hey, Moses, my goodness is going to pass before you. So Moses says, hey, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God says, you know what? I'm going to show you my goodness. And this is interesting, the connection here between the glory of God and the goodness of God. Because ultimately God's glory lies, you know, in his goodness. He could have displayed a lot of things of, you know, his righteous judgment. You know, he could have displayed different things that he could have shown. But he says, you know what? What I want to see, you to see is my goodness. I want you to, to experience it and, and see that. You know, if we don't know that God is good, we really don't know much about him at all. And when I hear people who are just like, oh, God is so horrible and he's not good at all. It's like, well, you don't know God. You don't understand him in the least if that is your view of him. But notice God goes on to tell Moses that, you know what? Yeah, it's great. I, want, I know you want to see my glory. And so I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord before you. The name is speaking of God's character, his, his nature. He's going to let Moses see some of that. But then he says, there, there is something you're not going to be able to see, Moses. You can't see my face. For no man shall see my face and live. What God's saying is, Moses, I know you want to see my glory, and it's, it fills my heart that that's something that you want to see of me, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what you can handle. I'm going to let you see something that you can receive and see and experience it without you killing you, because if you were actually to see my glory and all that it is, you'd be dead. Nobody can see my face and live. No one can see all the glory that I possess and survive that, and so I'm going to, I'm going to show you what you can handle but I'm going to have to do something for you in order for that to happen. My glory is so fierce and so amazing that see this cleft here, you're going to stand on this rock, you're going to be in these, in between these rocks, and then I'm going to put my hand over you. And this is going to have to be there to, to protect you. Notice what God specifically says. Here's a place by me and you shall stand on the rock, so shall it be, while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. So Moses, you know, without this, you're in trouble. My glory is so intense that if I don't put you here and cover you over, you wouldn't be able to experience this. You wouldn't be able to see this. It would kill you. Then God says, I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So here it is. You're going to be in this you know, crevice here and I'm going to put my hand. It's kind of like a door and my glory, I'm going to kind of pass by. 
And then when I'm back over here, I'm gonna remove my hand so you can kind of just see my back. You can't see my face, you'll see my back. But the interesting thing is that this Greek word translated back is a unique term never used in anatomy. It's not ever speaking of a literal physical back, like someone's back of their body. Walter Kaiser wrote this about this Hebrew word. The words my back could just as well and more accurately be rendered the after effects of his radiant glory, which just, which had just passed by. So the idea is that Moses, you can't see my face and all the glory that I have, but I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to pass by you. My hand's going to be there. And at the last moment, I'm going to remove my hand. And what you're going to see is kind of the after effects of my glory. Because that's all you can handle. You couldn't even handle, you know, just the, the middle effects. I mean, just the, the last bit of what my glory leaves behind, you could see that. Because that's all you can take on board and actually survive it. You know, what I love about this, God gives this special protection, but he rewards Moses. Moses, you want this? You want to see my glory? I'm going to do everything I can to make that possible for you. I got to do some things for you. I got to protect you so it doesn't kill you. But you know what? I'm going to honor that request. I'm going to show you all that you can handle. I'm going to let you see all that you can experience without it hurting you. And I love this because it demonstrates to us, you know, when we seek to know God in this way, he's like, yeah, I want to show you. I want to show you my glory. If you really want that, if that's your desire, if you're coming like Moses saying, Lord, show me your glory, God's going to say, yes, I'll show you. I might have to protect you here and, and, and guard you there, and, but I'll show you what you can experience. I'll show you what you can handle. God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We should be encouraged by that. But you know, we read stuff like this and we see these types of things in the Old Testament. You think, what an experience Moses must have had. But you know what? The revelation of God's glory in Jesus Christ is even far greater than the aftermath of the glory, the, the after effects that, that Moses got to see. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God wanted to reveal his glory in such a powerful way to the world, and so he sent his Son to be one of us. And so Jesus was completely God, but also completely man. And in his manhood, he was able to dwell among us, and people were able to experience God and see the glory of God in a way that wouldn't kill him. Jesus is that demonstration John saying we beheld the glory of God in Jesus Christ the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth but you know what we have another passage 2 Corinthians 3:18 but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord you know, right now, we're kind of like looking in a dim mirror when it comes to what we see of God. We can't see him for who he is because as we see here with Moses, we can't see his face and live. We get bits of him. We can experience some of him. But the great thing is one day we will see him face to face. When we go to heaven, we're going to have this wonderful recognition of the true, powerful glory of God and all that it is. We'll finally get to see it. But what I love that this reveals to us here is that you and I are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. 
And once we get saved, as I already mentioned earlier, we become this new creation. And the goal of God is to say, you know what? I want to change you and make you like me. The God of glory now dwells in you through his spirit. And he wants to have you shine out his glory to this world. So in these verses, we have two great examples of what we should do with God's presence. Joshua is that first example that we should not be content with just having God's presence available to us. We should take advantage of his presence and spend as much time as we can with him. Moses is another great example of what we should do with the presence of God. First, we should come into God's presence based on his grace and how he sees you in Christ. Second, ask to know God in a deeper way. And third, don't be satisfied with where your relationship is. Instead, ask, seek to know God more, to know more of his glory. You know, this is just one of those things where it's like, man, Instead of a rebuke, which we often kind of see from Scripture, like you're not spending enough time with God, it's more of an encouragement of like, look at what you're missing out on. If you're sitting back and saying, you know what, I don't really take advantage of the presence of God. I've never asked to see his glory. I'm content and satisfied with where my relationship is. All I have to say to you is you're missing out. There's so much more that you can have. You know, you're just kind of content with the scraps when you can have something far deeper, more fulfilling. And I just encourage you to take advantage of it. He's saying, it's here. You want to be like Moses and ask me to show you, I will. You want to be like Joshua and to spend all your time in my presence, I'm available. It's not on his end that it doesn't happen. It's always on ours. He's always available. He's always ready. He's always wanting to spend time with us. We're the ones who choose not to. We're the ones who don't go into his presence. And so we have this privilege and I hope that you don't see it as this thing that I have to do, as you see it as this burden that I, I must accomplish because it's just a command that I got to fulfill, but that you recognize it for what it is, the privilege and blessing to spend time with the creator of heaven and earth, not just the creator, but the one who loves you enough that he sacrifices life for you. And what a blessing we have to get to spend time with him. And so I encourage you, you know, take advantage of it. And, and as I looked at this, you know, there's, I look at my own life and recognize, man, there's times and even just looking now, it's like, Lord, when's the last time I really asked? I want to see your glory in that type of way. You know, am I getting stagnant? Am I getting content with my own understanding of God where I don't have that same passion? I remember when I first got saved, like, Lord, I just want to know everything. But over the years, it's like, man, that, that same passion isn't always there. And I want that. I want that, Lord, every day. I just want to know you. I want you to reveal yourself deeper. I want to experience more and never get to the place where I'm just kind of content with, all right, that's enough. I'm good. I don't need any more. I don't need to see any more. I don't need to know any more about you. But to realize, man, I want to spend the rest of my life deepening my relationship with the Lord. 